Hi, I'm Robert. Welcome to the first episode of Rates Refactoring Podcast. Andrzej, are you there? Yeah, hi. I'm Andrzej. I'm from Rails Refactoring and uh, welcome to the Rails Refactoring Podcast. So I think we can start. We've got Robert Pankowski today. Uh, Robert, I know that you, um, you've been responsible recently for introducing, uh, for upgrading the Ruby version in one of our, uh, one of the biggest of the RKNC projects that we are responsible for. Uh, would you like to share some of the experiences we, you've got with, with this upgrade to Ruby 2.1? Yeah, sure, gladly. Um, so first I would like to say that um, I know it's not a recent topic. It's like it's been some time since Ruby 2.1 been there, but it's not like for legacy applications or bigger ones you're migrating uh, every day or immediately after the release. So for one of our customers, uh, we did it this week and it was really good, but there was a couple of bumps on our roads. Um, so I've got a few things to share. And first thing that I wanted to share is that um, I was really surprised by how fast it is. I didn't have that much need to faster Ruby before and I was using Zeus and it was fine. I was able to do all my things and I, I didn't even perceive that as a problem, the, the speed of Ruby 1.9. And so I wasn't like very happy or very much into upgrading the Ruby. We wanted to do it, um, but not for the speed reasons. And that was the first thing that I was really, really surprised about. And if you are out there having 1.9 Ruby for a big application and you haven't been considering the upgrade, the speed itself is at least one reason to consider it. Like I wasn't before, I, I knew it's gonna be faster. I just didn't expect it to be that much faster. It's like the application startup time is about 50% faster. The tests are like at least 20% faster. So it's like really, really huge bump for me that I wasn't expected. I had rumors it's fast, and I, but I've never seen the numbers and never, never experienced them my, myself. And I was really surprised. So have you experienced such upgrade? No, no, I, I wasn't really involved in any of such upgrades. So it's, uh, it's a great lesson for me as well. Uh, so I wonder, is it, um, you, you're mentioning speed, which is interesting here. So is it more for the developer convenience, which is very important, obviously, so that the developer experience is much better, the tests are faster, the startup is better. So does it mean that we don't need some tools for, you know, pre-forking the Rails application in the development mode and so on? Did it, uh, is, does it more influence the developer experience or does it, do you see more effect on the you know, end user experience because the, the whole application is faster? So I can't really say that uh, production is faster, at least according to our numbers uh, from New Relic. I was comparing the previous speed and current speed and it wasn't that much different. I didn't benchmark the, the application really, but the developer experience got much better. So even if you are using some of the pre-forking tools, um, like Spring or Zeus, they are starting way, way faster and they are way more responsive. Um, well, if I can use that word. And so that, that's mainly the main benefit for me, development and testing environment. I didn't notice much better speed on uh, production. 
Okay, good. That's important to have, you know, as the best possible developer experience as well in every project. Um, how about the, the cloud providers? Was there any uh, problem at this point? Uh, any anything specific you needed from the uh, from the hosting part? Well, you know, it kind of was because um, that that really depends on your on your provider. But in our case, we are currently on Engineered for that customer. That way, but that that's where they chose to be hosted some time ago, and we never actually wanted to to move too much. And um, and it wasn't like we couldn't jump to the newest Ruby version, like 2.1.4, um, because they they actually have it available, but only as early access. And we had some problems upgrading, like we couldn't. Uh, correctly install it on one of our instances, so it wasn't actually that very smooth, smooth as I would expect from a cloud provider. And I wonder how it looks at other providers like Heroku and Nightfold. I don't have much experience. Maybe uh, our listeners could share it with us. How hard it is. The thing that was a bit problematic for me was that in case of Engineered, they are deploying the application on the same node that was before. And because they use rolling deploys and so that um, the users are not affected, when you actually deploy a new version, it's, it's not yet running new Ruby. You need to stop the unicorns and start them. And that means that for our customers that there was a short downtime so we wanted to do it early in the morning before the customers start using the application. So after experiencing this, I'm much more interested into like immutable infrastructure when you can set up the uh, new machines and then switch in one like moment between using the old ones into using the new ones. Okay, thanks. Uh, so. I wonder that there's one um, ongoing debate happening. Uh, you know, the whole microservices, and everyone wants to be in microservices now. But also, some people say, like Uncle Bob, that gems are, are good enough for a separation. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure where I am between in this debate. Uh, I like this uh, Uncle Bob um, arguments as well. Um, but in the case of Ruby upgrades, I think, but let me, um, please correct me, I think it's better if we would have uh, microservices because that, that, that would be easier um, to upgrade microservice by microservice, right? And, and that's, that's um, safer. While if you have your application as a monolith or um, just as a bunch of gems, then it's still the same runtime, it's still the same Ruby, right? So you can't really do it step by step. So. Uh, what's your opinion on that? And I, I wonder what was your strategy when you were working on this upgrade? Yeah, exactly like that. Um, I think in case of microservices, it would be actually easier because you could uh, restart them one by one and that would definitely be simpler, especially um, when your microservices are only like collecting data from your central application, um, when it's like async communication, uh, for example, using Apache Kafka or te other queuing technology where you can safely uh, stop the stop your application or stop the workers and start them a few seconds later and then they will process the 
events that queued at that time. So in that case, it would be definitely uh, way easier. Mm -hmm. And so with the current uh, code base that you were working on, uh, did you just need to make some massive changes, one, one commit by one commit? Did you have to live on a branch for a while before you, you are ready to roll it in, into production? Uh, so what was your uh, strategy here? Yeah, so um, one of my colleagues had a branch that uh, had all the uh, necessary updates to that make our app compatible with Ruby 2.1, um, but I didn't want it to deploy that big branch, and I I split it into like eight small steps, and everything that was possible to do, I made to be compatible between 1.9 and 2.1 uh, at the same time. So one of the biggest things that we experienced was that a simple delegator no longer no longer delegates methods which are not public, and so we had to make some of the methods public. And I just made them public on the on our master branch and in few places, and that made the transition easier. So at the end, when we were switching, it was really like a very tiny tiny change in the code base. So if something went wrong, we would it would be way easier for us to um, to roll back the change to go like one commit back and redeploy that one other commit on Ruby 1.9. So that was my strategy. Unfortunately, there was one big problem that uh, um, that didn't make the code base compatible. Um, we are using the serialize feature on Active Record. And by default, it's serializing with YAML. And the old Ruby and new Ruby are using two different engines for that, uh, SIG and PSIG. And there are some differences, which means that when you have a, a lot of serialized objects on your database, um, you might experience error if you just uh, transition to the new engine. So at first, our idea was to run a migration and convert all the data. But it turned out that it would require uh, changing uh, 500,000 records. And that migration would take about two hours. So we decided to stick with SIG. And you can still use SIG in the new Ruby, but you need to add new gem. And you can't add this gem to, to your code base for old Ruby. So you have, like, at some point, we had to have a branch because you you need to have this gem in new version and you can't have it in the old version because it won't install so you can't have like one code base that is compatible with old version and new version but that was really corner course corner case of our application because we had a lot of uh yaml stored uh records okay cool thanks for sharing all of your lessons here i'm glad it happened all uh, so smoothly in the end, uh, I really uh, like your decision that you made and, uh, along the road. So great. Uh, so why don't we jump to the second uh, topic that we have for today. And the topic is, uh, we, we received a question on Twitter from Grzesiek Kołodziejczyk. Uh, and he asked on, about our opinions on Trailblazer interactor mutations, which, if any form object gem you would recommend, basically uh, the stack for writing applications with more separated business logic. This is what we like and enjoy. 
Uh, yeah, would you like to start? Uh, yeah, I only looked into Interactor once and I didn't even try to use. I first went through the README and they're using pattern that I didn't really like that much. Um, basically, for the interactors, they're passing context object. Um, I, I don't know if you ever looked at the README, but I couldn't figure out why I would like to pass a state in that one object instead of like using normal Ruby and multiple arguments and instance variables. I just, it felt like something strange for me. And there, there were some like additional um, DSL features like around and things like that. And I felt, I felt it like it was adding even more magic to regs, which in my opinion is not necessary for a simple thing like a service object, at least in my opinion. So it's like that what interactor is. It's not a form for form objects, but a, for service objects more like. And so I wasn't very fond of. And recently I've been reading about the Trailblazer uh, by Nick Satterer, uh, also known under his nickname Apotonic. And I would like really like to hear more about it. He's been blogging about it a little bit. But do you know of any conference that's having like Nick as a speaker? I would like to hear more from him directly about his approach. Yeah, it would be great to hear him speaking somewhere close, right? Uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, um, Apotonic is, is great, and I, I re I'm really enjoying him, some of his other works, like Cells uh, and other gems that he was responsible for. So I'm looking forward to, to trying uh, Trailblazer as well. Uh, however, I do have, I think, similar opinion to, to what you said before. Uh, so the reason we want to separate the business logic is to try to be isolated from, mm, from some specific technologies. And I know they're usually very thin, uh, so probably there's not really so much reasons to, to, to worry about. But still, I think mm, that for us, they would, they would kind of extend our standard library, right? So they, they, they would make the stack, as Krasik called it. And I'm not sure I really need that. Uh, so. I'm probably too, I was too hurt by Rails uh, influence on my domain logic that I want to escape to, to a place where the only thing I rely on is actually the Ruby standard library. So uh, I'm not sure about those, uh, those new, new wave of gems that help us with services. It's quite easy, I think, to, to develop your own service object as typical um, plain old Ruby objects. So I'm not sure about that. However, I will give a try to for Trailblazer for sure. Mm, but Grzesiek also asked about uh, form objects. And I think form objects are a different kinds of beast. Uh, so they are, they live on the external boundary of our system, right? So they, are, they live in this HTTP layer or GUI layer. And I know that in our RKNC projects, we used a lot of virtues, which is great for this kind of stuff, for form objects. Mm, but recently, I also mm, I, I had to teach uh, Rails to, to students. I'm during my mm, semester right now, so so I'm teaching Rails to students. And one part was about Active Model, and so that gave me this chance to remind myself what is Active Model exactly and to, what are the new features around Active Model. 
And what I really like is that you don't really need, uh, so active model comes with everything you need for form objects. And uh, so my point would be that for in some situations, I can imagine that I don't really want to use uh, some external things because I'm already coupled to Rails. And I don't want to make it more complicated by bringing other gems here. So my opinion here is that uh, if I would, if I, if I, my choice would be to not to use anything or use virtues, I would consider just active model. However, my first choice would be also uh, virtues if I would need to take something ex uh, external. But for the um, service objects and those things, uh, I wouldn't. I just stay, I want to stay with my Ruby classes, my own Ruby classes. Yeah, after all, it's not that hard to create a custom class, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that some people may may actually somehow fear of creating new classes. So what Rails does with us is like Rails is responsible for creating the classes for us, and all we can do is just inherit from something and then and then just use it. So uh, so this is unusual for Rails developers to create their own classes which don't inherit from anything and they don't even include anything from uh, from the framework. Yeah, I think that like creating own classes is underestimated in in our community. And I try to remember that in object-oriented programming, like the the solution to almost any kind of problem that you have is to create a new object, to create new class. And in functional programming, I feel it's like the always the the right solution or like the most obvious and good solution is to create new 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 function for for something. So I think that whenever I I, I have a problem, I, I like to think like maybe maybe I need a new object, maybe I need a new class for that. And like we are as humans can only like have limited amount of things in our mind. So when you are developing, you can't keep all the rules about making great software at the same time in your head. So the, the rule that I try to have is like, whose responsibility is it? And it's like the question that I try to ask. And then when I see like, okay, it's someone else's responsibility. So let's create new class or let's move it into another class. And it's like the only thing that I try to keep in mind, except for the code that I'm working on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, uh, I think it's time to wrap up. So thank you very much, Robert, for joining us today. Uh, this is uh, the rails-refactoring.com podcast. And hopefully, uh, see you all soon. So thank you, Robert, again. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye. Goodbye. Okay,